It's up to us as artists to look at the individual stories, those narratives, and find a way of translating those into injustices, but also into wonderful things that can happen in, li in life that resonate with us and which come from suffering. That's Grammy Award-winning baritone Christopher Gabitas, a former member of the King Singers, and now he's the artistic director of the Phoenix Chorale, among many other things. He's here to talk about the Chorale's upcoming 22-23 season. I'm Melissa Green. Welcome to another episode of Heart of the Arts. Well, thank you for coming to be a guest on our Heart of the Arts podcast. Um, you are a Grammy Award-winning baritone, You're formerly with the King Singer. So you won two Grammys while you were there during your, was it 14 years you spent with? That's right. It was, yeah, it was 15 seasons, 14 years, I suppose. And yeah, we did. We did. We, we, uh, we were nominated for three uh, awards, three Grammys across, across my tenure, and, and we won two. Uh, and that was amazing. You don't mm. expect that, really, as a <laughs> classical musician in particular. Yeah. So now you're the artistic director with Phoenix Chorale, among many other things. I know that you've <laughs> got your hands in a lot. Um, but congrats on the new season. And I did want to ask for our audience members, because you became artistic director in 2019. Yes. How... Is it working with them now uh, opposed to when it was 2019? And I, I'm just assuming that you've probably gained a little more momentum than back from 2019 to 2020. We've had a season mm -hmm. and that in itself is a huge victory. And we have an incredible team that works behind the scenes to allow us to do what we do. And really, I can't pay enough credit to uh, Nicole Belmont, our chief executive, and Lynn Travers, our board chair, and everybody who works on the executive and the administrative and the leadership and the governance side of things. Because we, we came out of the pandemic, which was a, such a tough time globally for so many people, feeling almost a sense of renewal and hope. Mm -hmm. And we, we felt fortunate to be in that position. And we were able to gain some traction quite early in the fall of 2021. Okay. And we managed to have a, a four concert season, a four series season of sorts, starting with a, a, a relatively closely monitored film session mm -hmm. where we've, we filmed a program that we called Unclouded Day. And we were part of the Voices 8 live from London online concert series, which uh, if listeners don't know about this, it's an incredibly uh, a pivotal moment, really, I, I believe, for classical music, particularly choral music in the 21st century, because it proved that we can gain uh, a truly emotional experience by watching artists do things uh, on media, online, on screens. And, and I hope it continues in some form because it's hugely valuable in terms of reach and access and diversity of programming. And that's really what we need to focus on as musicians in this era. Mm -hmm. And that's available online still for people to go view. I've... Not at the moment, sadly. It's oh. actually it's it's been uh, it's been taken down. It's got to the point where that festival was closed for this year. Mm. But it will be going up on uh, social media platforms that anybody can access free of charge uh, in chunks, in snippets. And we're going to do it piece by piece. And we're going to release things uh, in a way that we feels makes sense with. Uh, contemporary events. So, for example, recently we released a recording of a beautiful uh, Victorian part song called Lay a Garland. And that was really so that we could be mindful of the passing of Queen Elizabeth II. And I'm grateful to the organization as, as a Brit for wanting to mark that event. And it was, I think it was a, a perfectly curated 
release again by our wonderful team just to mark her passing. Yeah. And just staying relevant with everything that you're doing. I was also just going to go off the um, off the list of questions here. Is that what inspired you to have the open rehearsals for uh, the community? Originally, I think they tied in with the first Friday events. Mm, okay. So the Roosevelt Row first Friday events, people would fling their doors open. And it's, it's the most wonderful cultural melting pot. And my first experience of that in Phoenix back in 2019 was really eye-opening. Extraordinary experience to see such a diversity of inhabitant of Phoenix, visitor coming to Phoenix, all ages, all shapes, sizes, creeds, colors, faiths, whatever, whatever it might be, gathered in this wonderful place with a vibrancy, which can only come if you have good weather for most of the year. <laughs> And <laughs> I mean, I, I joke, but also I don't because it's wonderful mm -hmm. to be here for the, for the sunshine and the feel good factor. And from that, we decided, well, you know, we can't always tie in those dates. But what we can do is make this a really positive, meaningful part of what we want to do as a, as a choir for and of this community. So we will be inviting high school children to come to open rehearsals, uh, college students, people mm -hmm. in our community who are, who are stakeholders or who may just be interested because they belong to church choir organizations or whatever else it might be. There's such a community of song in Maricopa County. And we, we want to say, come one, come all, fling our doors open. And, and we really believe that rehearsals should not be private. You know, it, it's not like how to make a sausage where nobody really wants to see that process. I think the process mm -hmm. of a, a rehearsal for a concert is fascinating and an end in and of itself. And it keeps us on our toes. Yeah. Having people there. It's quite fun. Yeah. I I think that's brilliant. And my ancestors are from Poland, so we make homemade kielbasa every yes. holiday season. So yeah. it is kind of a weird process. I would much rather see. Lots of uh, aspic too. I remember I've toured <laughs> Poland a lot of times. Lots of aspic. Really? Yeah. Okay, that's something I haven't tried. Yeah, but it's true, I, it's true. Okay. There's the musical aspects of love and it was written about Polish no, it wasn't. <laughs> Well, I want to get into um, the new season. It spans from darkness to light. And I know that kind of relates to um, Eclipse in November. But I was curious because when I read the announcement, it said it kind of the whole season spans from darkness to light. So was that just kind of one of those um, jolts of inspiration that came to you? And then was it really easy to just plot everything out? No, I'd love everybody to think it was. <laughs> That's the goal. Mm -hmm. But it really wasn't. Okay. Uh, but, but in it, and it comes in fits and starts, and it comes in the oddest of places. It comes while doing the school run. It comes while flying. It comes while making food. But I think one thing that the pandemic did was give us such pause for thought. Uh, and there's a huge amount of self-reflection that went on, I think, in us as individuals and institutions, and certainly in the musical world as well. And we want to be better at who we are and what we do. And, and that really translates to an idea of enlightenment on whatever level you want to take it mm -hmm. as being. And so, yes, we start the series with a, a sacred program uh, called Eclipse. And it begins with the first half, which is meditative. And we will, we will do it through performed with no applause. And it, it does center on the Christian faith and the idea of the crucifixion and the resurrection and reclaiming light out of darkness. There's that incredible moment in the Gospels where, where, where it states, uh, you know, darkness fell at the time when crucifixion was happening. And so much choral music over the last five centuries has been written for the church and with sacred inspiration. And we can't ignore that. It's the vast majority of what we do. And it's the most beautiful craft. 
So whether we are a person of faith doesn't really matter to my way of thinking. I think we can gain something on a level from the beauty of this music and the message. It's a timeless message, whether you're Christian or whatever your your angle is on faith and on meditation and on life. And so, yes, we begin with this quite sacred program and we find the light from the darkness. And in the second half, we're a bit provocative. So we sing some Russian music. Mm. And at the moment, there's a lot of cancellation going on with mm-hmm. Russian music. Mm-hmm. But we're singing music by Russian composers who were persecuted around the time of the Russian Revolution and the beginnings of the Soviet era and the Great Depression in the 1920s and 30s. And one of the composers, in fact, Pavel Chesnikov, who wrote a wonderful piece about light, finding light in the midst of darkness, which is so symbolic of what he was going through as a composer Mm -hmm. in Soviet Russia. He died of a heart attack from malnutrition whilst waiting in a bread line in Moscow. Wow. And so we have to be so careful not to say this is a nation, And everything is wrong that has happened in it. And everything is wrong that comes out of it. And all the people are wrong. It's up to us as artists to look at the individual stories, those narratives, and find a way of translating those into injustices, but also into wonderful things that can happen in in life that resonate with us and which come from suffering. And music Mm -hmm. gives a voice to these things. So, yes, we're going to do some Russian music about light, beautiful music. And then we end with a Bach motet. Um, And it's a bit naughty of me. It's not to do with darkness and light. It's just I think Bach eclipsed composers that came before him. So so we're going to do a Bach motet, which is wonderful. And that pays homage to the origins of the Phoenix Bach and Magical Society, founded in 1958, uh, whence we have sprung. And and you're right. Christmas is, is again, a move towards enlightenment as we engage with more Hispanic music from the Renaissance and from the present day to honor the enormous contribution culturally that uh, that Hispanic peoples mm-hmm. have made variously throughout the centuries in the southwestern states of America. And many of the music, the pieces that we will sing from the Renaissance would have been performed in mission churches way back when. Mm-hmm. And so we want to honor that and uh, perform it in a, in a historically relevant but also a contemporary manner. So, yes, it shines a light on the wealth of Spanish and Hispanic music that pertains to that this time of year. Um, So what will audiences hear and what can they um, relate to since you're kind of making that first concert? So, um, you know, here's this here's Christianity. But these are like really simple ideas that everyone can relate to. How are you doing that with uh, the Christmas program? Well, it's all about the storytelling. Mm-hmm. And so we, we're going to be speaking a little bit about uh, the, the element of Jesus, Mary and Joseph actually being refugees around the time of the year. So mm-hmm. we're looking at a piece by Ariel Ramirez uh, called okay. La Peregrinación, which is a, quite a famous part of his Misa Criola. But it's been arra- it was arranged for the King Singers originally. Mm-hmm. And I'm updating it and making it work for SATB choir, so sopranos, altos, tenors and basses. And that tells of the flight of the Holy Family. And so drawing an analogy between what's happening in various parts of the world and what was happening back then 2,000 years ago mm-hmm. and trying to sort of you know, bring these things together with, with the way that the migration of peoples has helped to shape our environment over so many centuries and in so many parts of the world. And yes, the Christmas story is is fuzzy and soft-focused and wonderfully joyful, and it's about giving and receiving in so many ways. But we, we actually need to be reminded at this time of year that, that there are ways in which perhaps we can be more enlightened about what's happening around us in the world. How has your traditions, um, your holiday traditions changed? Are they same um, here in the States? No. No. Okay. (laughs) 
<laughs> so what do you do that's uh, – I'm, I'm sure you, it's different than, than in the UK, but what would you say are some changes around the holidays or new traditions or things that you miss? Just There's personally? more sugar. More sugar. Oh, yeah, um, of course um, there is. <laughs> no, it's wonderful. In terms of music, there, there is definitely the, the Hispanic influence and particularly being in a, in a southwestern state – it's so obvious to me that, that there is a, a, a dual heritage and a dual language and a dual way of thinking about life down here. In fact, there are more than just two. There are so many. But w- within our ensemble, we're fortunate to have uh, singers with Hispanic heritage. Mm-hmm. And we are, we are working with them to create new text, for example, for Silent Night. So it's often sung in English or German. It's also sung in Spanish, which I didn't realize until relatively recently, Noche de Paz. And one of our singers is putting uh, a Mexican-Spanish text to this piece so that we can present it again to just, you know, tip our caps at the Hispanic tradition, which is surrounding us here in, in Maricopa County. Um, but, but even more than that, there, th- th- there's so much of a melding between the secular holiday tradition and the sacred Christian traditions and also the Hanukkah tradition and the Diwali tradition uh, throughout the United States. And having toured here for the best part of 20 years, it, it became very, very obvious what a, a cultural melting pot this wonderful nation is. Uh, and it's, it's opened my eyes to it a lot more because we're, we're quite a quiet Christian country in, in, in England, in the UK, in many, many ways. And Christmas is Christmas is Christmas. And that's, that's what it is. <laughs> and, and it's really, it's a real eye-opening blessing in many ways to be exposed to such a wealth of different cultures. Is that something that drew you to Arizona? Do you know, I first came here and did a concert in Mesa Performing Arts Center Okay. The King Singers. We, oh, we, the King. We, oh, of right. course, you we, were we here. We came with, and did yeah. a performance in Mesa uh, Performing Arts Center, and that was my first and only visit to Arizona until I applied for the Phoenix Chorale job. Mm-hmm. But I had friends who worked for the chorale and sang with the chorale, and when the position was advertised back in 2017, 2018, urged me to have a look at it. And so at that point, I started researching and doing my due diligence and really looking into the the state and and how it worked and what the culture was like. And I learned more about the Navajo nation and I learned more about the the incredible system of water, the aqueducts and aquifers and how everything worked. And it's been going for centuries. And then I found the Phoenix Chorale and I listened to more of the material. And I loved the, the warmth that seems to emanate from the state in every manner, the warmth of the people. I can remember I was, I was a, a huge fan of Senator John McCain, just as a, a wonderful statesman and a, just an all-round good person mm-hmm. seemed to be yeah. to me. Uh, and he spoke with a real sort of solid warmth about his state and about his, his people mm-hmm. with a really endearing love. And it's often the states which have the smaller populations which seem to bind themselves together very well. Uh, my wife is from the Commonwealth of Kentucky. Okay. And that's another state which is nowhere near as big in landmass. But in population size, they really uh, bind themselves together and they have a great pride in what they do. And it translates into the sound of the chorale. There's a warmth in the sound. And the uniqueness of our singers is that they are all for and of this community. We don't have musicians that fly in. Mm-hmm. and spend a, a project week with us. We have people who come week after week and uh, sacrifice their time away from their families and after the long, a long day at work to be with us. But it, it creates something which is so much greater than the sum of its parts. Mm-hmm. And that shone through in these recordings, the early recordings I listened to, the um, Rheinberger recording that the chorale did, a, a recording by the way them of Herbert Howell's piece, A Spotless Rose, that really spoke to me. Uh, and Charles Bruffy was a genius in what he got 
out of the singers in terms of his pacing and the emotion that he wrung from every phrase. Mm-hmm. And I found it so attractive because it's it's very, very different from the almost perfect but often sterile sound of many English choirs mm-hmm. uh, with a very, very straight tone and a, a crystalline beauty, which I love very much. Mm-hmm. But there was an extra dimension to this warmth of sound which seemed to come from from the chorales musicians mm. it just drew me in and, and <laughs> I, I felt I, I need to apply for this I need to see if this is somewhere where I could where I could be yeah and um, I've loved it ever since ah I love that story So did your previous experience singing and performing in Phoenix and then the discovery of the warmth and versatility of the choir, is that what inspired the Masterworks series that's now part of each season? To an extent. The third series this year, it it does, again, build on that theme of enlightenment because Mm -hmm. we're pairing two contrasting but quite symbiotic pieces if we think about them in the context of today's narrative. We're looking at... Uh, yes, a piece by Handel, one of his psalm settings, Dixit Dominus, one of my favorite pieces of all time, and a true Baroque masterpiece. It's only about 25 minutes long, but it, it takes you on a roller coaster of emotion. It's, it's just a psalm setting in terms of the text, but it speaks about power, earthly power, kingly power, and, mm-hmm. and, and, and the su- submission, uh, subduing enemies under feet and this sort of thing. So a real statement of power and authority. Mm-hmm. And this is often how we feel as humans. We want to make our mark and stamp ourselves on our environment. And of course, we can see this going on in various ways around the world, whether politically or militaristically or economically as, as, as we sit here today. But the second half presents a piece more about our environment. So the, the series is called Dominion. And in, in the first half, we're talking about having dominion over something. And in the second half, we're talking about the dominion in which we live, you know, the, the, the area, the kingdom, the realm, if you like, of this globe. Mm-hmm. And pre- presenting a piece called Mass for the Endangered by the New York-based composer Sarah Kirkland Snyder. And this piece pairs um, movements from the regular mass that Christians will know about every week with humanist writings on the state of our planet and the environment and our custodianship of it and how we must be very, very careful to guard this and look after it very, very carefully. So it's enlightenment about uh, about the, the existence in which we find ourselves and how perhaps if we turn ourselves away from traditionally dominant behavioral norms and towards feelings of custodianship and nurture, mm-hmm. um, we, we will be able to help the next generations who come after us to serve the human race a bit better. Oh, wow. And then are there visuals with it too? There are. There were some specially commissioned films oh, that okay. go with Mass for the Endangered. Mm. And I was really privileged to be on the debut recording of this piece as a singer a few years ago with uh, with my friend Gabriel Crouch, who is my predecessor in the King Singers, and he now directs choral studies at Princeton okay. University. And he was overwhelmed by this piece and with his with his ensemble Gallicantus we made a recording in London of this piece and ever since then I've wanted to do it and he commissioned along with the composer and along with Nonsuch uh, the recording company the set of um, visuals to go alongside it and so we're going to be projecting those onto a big white space on a wall in the Great Hall of the Phoenix Art Museum, and we're delighted to be in residence with them for this project. It's very, very exciting. 
And for the handle, we're going to be working to come up with our own visuals to act, mm. to, to put the Kirkland Snyder in relief. And okay. we'd like to do some semi-staged aspects as well. Okay. Maybe a voice of conscience in the humanist realm, Ooh. counterbalancing the, the more uh, spiritual mass elements. But we'll see. Watch this space. You'll have to come. Yes. You will. <laughs> Definitely. I'm looking forward to that one. And then um, the final of the season is titled Soundtrack, correct? Correct. And this balances Eclipse because this is okay. secular. Okay. Not a sacred note in sight. <laughs> and what this does again is it, it, it goes to a much, a much more human, everyday form of enlightenment because we must all realize surely that music provides a soundtrack to everything we do, whether we're in our car, whether we're in the elevator, in the mall, wherever we are at the stadium, music is used to provide an added layer of experience within our lives all the time. So we look back through the centuries to how madrigals and part songs and pop songs and jazz songs and folk songs were ways in which we as a race have used the oral tradition to add a commentary to the lives, the loves, the pains, the destruction, the wine, the majesty, mm -hmm. and the wonderful elements of life that we enjoy and endure on a daily basis. So that's the idea of the, um, what were they called, companion songs? What is, um, what is your favorite theme to sing about? Whichever one I'm singing about at that moment. And I know it's a really trite answer, but it's true. Because, <laughs> no, it's because we're, we're actors. As musicians, one thing I say to the singers all the time is, you are playing a role. And it doesn't matter what your personal beliefs are at this point in time. You are putting on a costume and you are playing a role and you're performing to that audience. And whatever you're singing at that moment in time, that's your favorite. That's what it is. And, 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 and my job as a facilitator is really to empower the singers to present that rhetoric and communicate it in the best possible way. Uh, and I, I talk in rehearsals more than I wave my hands around because partly because I think I look a bit silly waving my hands around, but mostly because I think if I can get the message across to them, then they can do it and they come with me and we and that's how we, we give of our best. Um, so the honest answer is you have to be fully invested in the present. Mm, I love that. So <laughs> I feel like I might put my foot in my mouth with this uh, final question. So you've recorded some 30 albums over your 15 years with the King Singers? Something. I've lost count. Okay. So it's a, <laughs> it's like around that. 30. <laughs> um, but this is such a beautifully crafted um, season for you. So I was wondering if you miss like the process of making an album and how it might feel similar to like building or curating a program like you have for this season? I will be honest with you. I much prefer live performance mm. to the recording process okay. because unless you are able somehow to capture the immediacy of live performance, recording can feel very artificial. That's not to say that recording isn't important mm -hmm. and it's not to say I don't enjoy it and see the value in it. And I certainly want to do it. And we are. In <laughs> fact, we, we, are, we are beginning a new relationship with Signum Records, which is a mid-sized classical label which okay. hosts the King Singers and the Swingle Singers and Tenebrae and lots of other groups and musicians that I hugely admire. And they're, they're a wonderfully agile label that sprang up around 15 years ago and were, were really ahead of their time because they, they sprang from a group called Global Music Network that was streaming mp3 tracks online in the 90s before anybody was really doing it mm -hmm. and so they grew out of real innovation and entrepreneurial thought 
And the way that they view recording is that the artists should record what they want to record and what they love to present. And that's what we're doing. We will start with a Christmas album because we need one. And, and everyone needs Christmas music. And so we look forward to doing that. And from then on, we're going to move to some concepts, more concept albums, a little bit of, more closely akin to what you will experience in live performance this year. So I, I do like curating recording projects. But the most important thing about the process for me is is to retain that element of live spontaneity. Mm -hmm. And that's often very, very hard to do. So we you know we'll work on that. <laughs> and what else are you looking forward to with the Phoenix Chorale and just performing in the Valley? Well, primarily we do want to serve the Valley. Mm -hmm. But I'd be lying if I didn't say that we would like to look further afield. It would be mm -hmm. wonderful to take this incredible choral experience that, that we're generating here elsewhere and share it. And we'll do that to begin with through social media and through making films and videos and releasing those and encouraging people to come see us. And we'd also like Phoenix to be a destination for the arts. So we want to encourage choral music lovers from across the United States. Hey, why don't you come to Phoenix? You know, if, if you're fed up with winter in Oregon, <laughs> I mean, not that you would be because Oregon's beautiful, but, you know, if you want a little bit of sunshine, come to Phoenix, come here to Phoenix Corral for a destination weekend and we'll, we'll promise you a warmth and a friendliness and a welcome that, that um, you will enjoy and you will, you'll want to return to. Um, so we, we want to encourage this generation of Phoenix as an arts hub. And we're starting to collaborate with the educational institutions, with ASU and with NAU, and uh, we're going to reach out to U of A. And we have hosted for the last few years Valley Sing, which is a collective choral experience where we invite singers from across the valley, whether as part of ensembles such as the boys' choir, the children's yeah. choir, or whether we involve people from church choirs here, individuals, and we get them all to come in and we sing in one place, in one space at one time, and we get everybody together and we enjoy just a day of making choral music, encourage them to come and see us in concert, but also encourage our singers and our staff to go and visit other ensembles so that we're not existing in silos, but we're truly binding this community together. And that's that's really what we want to be doing. Uh, beyond that, yes, more recordings, maybe some touring projects, uh, but we're, we will have to see. We're, we're living We're living in the present as much as we can. Excellent. Well, they're very lucky to have you, and I'm so excited to dive into some choral music this fall. Uh, thanks so much for coming on Heart of the Arts with uh, Classical K-Bach today, and we look forward to the season. Thank you. Thanks yeah. for having me. That's Christopher Gabitas, the artistic director of Phoenix Chorale. Their new season begins with an open rehearsal open to the public on October 28th, then with their first concert, Eclipse, on November 4th. For tickets and more information, head to phoenixchorale.org slash concerts. For KBOX Heart of the Arts, I'm Melissa Green.